Welcome to episode 764 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 764 of I'm Talk with Coach John Newsom, Bevan James. Oh, you're, you're waffling as I was doing my intro. Uh, I was just wondering if we had a course record at the weekend on the run for... It's pretty quick by Craig Barry. But I'll, I'll look into that while you tell everybody what we're doing today. Well, first of all, I'm Talk is proudly brought to you by... Our fantastic patron. You go first, John Boy. Daryl, the electric feeler, Reed. <laughs> the electric feeler, Reed. Now, the feelers were a band in New Zealand. Good yeah. kind of rock band in the 90s and early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you don't know what that means yeah, that's what we're going there. Cause, and, and the lead singer was James, James Reed. Reed. James Reed. Uh, David, the green light kid row. And Tom Thoroughbred Ward. These are all amazing patrons of the show. If you want to become a patron, go to www.iamtalk.me. In this week's show, we've got some news. We've got some good results, actually. We've got uh, Hot Topic of the Week. Uh, we're going to interview. We have. Uh, so you're going to find out who that is later on. Oh, really? Yeah, sub, 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 is, is it, We've got some options, have we? We've got several options. I've done one already, and uh, we've got another one coming up. And so just wait and be enthralled. Okay, we'll go the week. Questions and answers at the end. John, the big news of this week was we had an Ironman race in New Zealand. Uh, it was an interesting race, actually, wasn't it? You know, because like, the, big, the big talk was, it was probably three or four things. First of all, what was going to happen with the top three men, because they're all pretty close. Secondly, how Cam was going to go. And then thirdly, was the female race just going to be a dojo domination? So, so let's break it down. The men's race. Yeah. So it wasn't didn't pan out quite how you expect because no. all the three big guns, Braden Curry, Mike Phillips, and Kyle Smith, all came off the bike together. So Kyle Smith had a lead out of the swim, uh, but that lead didn't really push out at all. Uh, and did then, he try? Well, I don't know. Probably. <laughs> no, but no, because like obviously in previous races he's he's got a head on the bike yeah. and held on in the run. He, uh, he sounds like a numbers guy, so I'm sure he's just riding to his numbers, yep. you would assume. So I haven't seen any race report from him yet. But you assume he was riding to his numbers, and uh, once you get once he got caught up, they probably just rode together. and Or he was just playing a bit of a conservative game, wanting to tick it off and go, need to get one under my belt, rather than being super aggressive. And, you know, he's... Exploded late in runs uh, yep. at seventy point threes and half Ironmans. Uh, you explode in Ironman. We all know what that's like. You're going to lose half an hour and, and tumble down the leaderboards. So you know, slightly more conservative approach, uh, but still, he had a really good day. Uh, He's definitely learning his trade, isn't he? Mm. In this race, so the big three came off the bike, and then when that happens, you're going well. Kyle Smith, prob- he does have the same calibre as those guys in terms of his runability when he's fresh and good to go, untested over Ironman. So you'd probably say normally Braden Curry's got a little bit of an edge over Mike Phillips and then Kyle Smith was a bit of the unknown. And that's kind of how it panned out that Braden Curry had a brilliant run. Mike Phillips had an average but still good run and Kyle Smith had a really solid run for first up Ironman. So Braden Curry's splits were 47.29 on the swim, 4.23.46 on the bike, pretty good conditions, so fast times, and then a 2 hour 40.46 for a 7 hour 57.12 run, ended up winning by a pretty healthy margin, around about 9 minutes or so over Mike Phillips, who still ran a 2.49, which is still really good on that course, but he is still a course record holder. I just checked it out. Uh, not by much, but he did manage to hold his course record, which is 
two hours and 40 minutes and four seconds, which he did a couple of years back to run down Andrew Starkowitz, who had a gigantic lead on him. What was that again, sorry? Uh, 2.40.04. Okay. So awesome run by Braden Curry. Not quite a course record, but overall, to see a sub eight on this on uh, I mean New Zealand a, little, a few years ago, this was unheard oh, of. Oh yeah, I remember. When it, was it who did eight oh eight? Was that um, Terenzo? Was that when Bevan did it? Bevan set a course record the year he did it. That and, may have them. And that seemed freakish. Mm, and yeah. then and you know, sub eight and I mean New Zealand. And I know it's a different course to what we used to do. Only it was sorry. a lot harder when we used to do it. Oh, it's just, it was, oh, just, just horrific. It was longer. Uh, probably 40 minutes harder. Yeah, they yep. put wave machine in the lake. <laughs> That's right. And they put these gigantic... <laughs> and the sharks, you do the sharks yeah, in the lake. And these gigantic turbines, so you had headwinds both directions yeah, on the bike. In front of each bike. Yeah. That's how we roll in Ironman New Zealand. So, really good performance. Uh, the cool thing is Kyle Smith, uh, I think, has got a kind of yeah, slot got, if he, got he wants slot. one. Yep. Yep. Because uh, Braden and Mike Phillips are already qualified. But he's still, is he still chasing the... No, he's not. He well, is, he's talking the... When he, when he, when he's when, talking when, short course. He's not going to make the Olympics. There's absolutely no chance in hell because there's really not any races where he can put up his hand. Would but, he, is he of a quality? Uh, no. Uh, he's sort of the second tier down. So you've got... For the Kiwis, you've got three standout men uh, and then you've got your second tier down below that and he would be in that, probably in that second tier. Okay. Well, definitely in that second tier, sorry. Uh, Jack Moody also had a really good debut. Uh, I think that might have been his debut Ironman. He ran a 2.42. Do you know much about Jack? Uh, he's just a, he's a weapon runner and he's been showing that all summer long. Uh, 2.42 and your first Ironman is that's, pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. He's only had seven uh, males. Ben Phillips was on the bike with the boys pretty much all day. He kind of faded at the end. Mm. Um, Run-wise, is that kind of where Ben would sit? That's a good run, Ben Phillips. 256. It's yep. really solid. So he had a great day. So fifth in Ironman New Zealand would be massive for him. Mm. Good work. Uh, so just on Cam Brown before we go into the females. So he actually got disqualified. So um, he's got here on his Instagram post. Uh, I finished the race today, but sadly disqualified. Things were going well, and I felt coming off the bike, but within the first few kilometres, in the run, I could feel my feet getting tighter and tighter and my front toes joint seized up. I tried to stretch it out and stopped multiple times, but the more I continued to run, the more the pain was in. By 20Ks, my hips had seized up and I was well forced to walk. As soon as I saw my son on the side of the road and swapped out my shoes with him and immediately felt the pain ease, although it was a long jog home. Uh, basically, he, he said he's had his worst day in Taupo ever in 8.58, sadly disqualified for outside assistance. Hopefully my feet and leg will be right in the next few days. So, so disappointing, but... Yeah, even if he'd had a Cam Brown stellar run, he probably would have only run himself maybe into fifth at best. Yep. Uh, he was a long way down off the bike and yeah, deserved, unfortunately disqualified because that's the rules you can't get outside assistance so I'm not quite sure how they busted them on that maybe somebody um, told them I'm not quite sure on the female changing side changing your shoes is outside assistance oh yeah, can't yeah. That. yeah. <laughs> and he must have known you would assume so and by that stage you're so far out of it it doesn't really but, matter yeah you might have just thought bugger it female side um, Hannah Wells brilliant debut uh, swam 53 rode a 450 and then ran a 310 very solid race 901.49s not quite going under the 9 hour barrier um, which would have been amazing on debut but for a first time stepping up from the half iron distance race uh, really really solid performance 901 on that course is awesome uh, so good on her Rebecca Clark was in second place so also had a really really good day for her 
her because we were talking last week, uh, I think her predicted time might have been like a 9 hour 30 or something like that and she went 9 hours 15.38 so 14 minutes back which is a long way but still she had a brilliant race, hopefully she's stoked with that and then Emily McNaughton was in third place in 9.38 so not very close on the female side of racing but, but at same time, some really, really good performances. Just John, I'm still on Cam Brown's Instagram, and I'm not going to doubt Cam Brown about his achievements, but he's got Ironman New Zealand winner, champion 12 times, which mm-hmm. is probably right, which is freakish. Mm. To win at an Ironman 12 times is absolutely phenomenal, but he's got two times second and two times third place in Hawaii. No, he's, he's got one second and one yeah, third. Yeah, so, That's a typo. Well, sharp it up, Cam, because yeah. it's in your profile. Yeah. <laughs> hey, take another away from your career, mate. I would love to be half the athlete you were, but get your, get your numbers right, mate. Get your numbers right. A European champion he's got there as well. He won Germany. One year he won Germany, didn't he? Yes, he yeah. did. That's a big achievement. That's a massive achievement. Okay, um, let's go into... Yeah, actually, let's pause, John, because we've got an interview. We'll we'll do, I'll just quickly weeks. wrap this up. 70.3 G long was at the weekend, which is in Australia. It got uh, postponed by a few weeks, um, but Steve McKernan took that out in three hours 46 really good performance against some good guys in there Tim Reid was second you had guys like Tim Van Berkel Levi Maxwell Josh Amberger in there so really solid performance and Ali Salthouse continued to have an awesome summer she beat out uh, Amelia Watkinson and Grace Thick. Uh, she won by about five minutes so good to see you guys still having some races in Australia uh, just on that John uh, Peter Colson sent through the email Yes, short we did. It was a bit short. Uh, Both so those bike t- and run. Those times. Yeah, and it's it's probably just above my threshold for being acceptable. So uh, the bike was 88 kilometres um, and the run was 20.77. The bike, I give people a little bit of leeway because if you've got t- traffic management's a pain in the ass, but you should advertise it as 88 kilometres. If, if you know it's going to be 88, advertise it as 88. The run... It looked like it was just an out and back. So 20.77, that's, that's just a, probably a little bit too short for my liking, which is okay. why the run times are very quick. Okay, we'll be back in two six, And we are back, team. And one thing we've got coming up this weekend is Kiwi Man, which is basically an extreme event in New Zealand, and it looks like it's a pretty cool challenge. It's part of the um, the sort of the worldwide extreme triathlon series, so I'm sort of hooked in with the, the Norseman guys and all that sort of crew. Uh, so it's held in New Zealand. They actually got a double where you do do it on I think it's on Friday and then again on Saturday. Uh, so good luck to those. And there's a few guys from Christchurch going up to do the single. So you do the 3.8k swim, uh, four loop clockwise course with a two hour 15 cutoff. Then you head off on a bike and it's actually in the same direction or same area that I was at the weekend in New Plymouth. And you bike around uh, Mount Taranaki. Uh, so you've got four epic climbs uh, as you go around there. And it's 188 kilometres long with 3,000 metres of climbing. And then with all these sort of events it's usually well not, not usually often the run that's the killer some of them have really really amazing epic bike rides where you go over all sorts of mountain passes some like this one 3,000 meters is still a crap load more yeah, climbing, decent climbing isn't it? than what you get at a standard Ironman but it's not perhaps say like they've got that one France Evergreen or Alpe d'Huez where you're basically you know climbing over mountain passes all day however the run here is uh 
Difficult starts with a seaside run on the coastal walkway in New Plymouth and then you head towards uh, Mount Taranaki and you go 1,200 metres up there. In well, well, realistically you do 1,200 metres in the last half of the run because oh, yeah. the first half is basically flat mm-hmm. and then at about the 20k mark you start lifting and then you climb all the way to the top and it's about 1,200 metres of climbing. And the la- it's the last 10, uh, probably the last 7 to 8k when it ramps up. The challenge with this race as opposed to some of the European sort of versions of these events is you get to the top and then you've got to walk your way back down. Whereas yeah. Norseman and things like that, I think Norseman, I'm sure. Do they have like a... A cable cart to, to okay. take you down. So that's probably the real shitting part Was of it? this race. Yeah, that would be tough. Uh, but a bunch of guys Especially going Especially if then up. you're going to do it again the next day. Oh, hell yeah. I didn't thought about that. Yeah, then you've got to get the next day to it. And then at the end of the next day, you've got to walk down the hill again. Uh, the Randall Duke of York. Would be difficult. That would be difficult. Good luck anybody who's doing the Kiwi Man. Really well priced. It's only like four, three or 400 bucks. It's you know, pretty well priced for what well, it is. Well, these events are all self-supported. So to be fair to race organisers, if you charge too much, you're really taking the piss a bit because you, you don't have to do much out there. You've got no traffic management. You got no support, or you got limited support out there, so you'd hope that they're priced accordingly. Well, this one is so good on them. Um, you've just noticed that the hits have changed your name. That's never really became what we thought it was going to become, did it? No, not at all. And I uh, just went on there because it was on k226.com, which is where I go to find all the non Iron Ironman branded events. I saw there's a couple of hits races well, that were hits races coming up. It's now called Alpha Win. Uh, so that's the name of this series, and they have actually got a race in Florida this weekend coming. It's not an iron distance race, uh, but they do have a, oh, they've got a 70.3. Um, surprise, they're using the word 70.3 there. I think they'll be getting a letter from the Ironman lawyers. Uh, Which we so, probably put them in the dirt for. Yeah, yeah, but you shouldn't. You should know about these things. Well, so if you don't know the history of the hits, hits came out, oh, geez, probably about 10 years ago now. Um, and at the time, it was backed by a company who did lots of horse events. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like a pretty big organisation. seems like they had pretty good backing, uh, good systems behind the scenes. And so we kind of thought, geez, these guys could be good players in the game. Uh, unfortunately, it's just kind of just set at the same place. It's, obviously, it's a good local event. Yeah. But it's never really become much more than that. What was the other one? It was Rev 3, wasn't it? Rev3 was about, and then they kind of got merged in with Challenge, and then, I don't know if Rev3 is still, still about, but there's, there's several organisations. We're a bit different down here in New Zealand. I know that in, in different parts of the world, they've now got you know organisers that maybe put on five or six races maybe in their particular region. So, Bevan, you were right. It did start uh, around about 10 years ago. In fact, it was just a bit more than that. It was in 2011 when it started. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Good luck to them. The the horse racing side of it is is massive, and they started that in 1982. Well, there you go. John's IT update. I actually watched this. We had the Super League London Arena Games happening. Uh, I like it, John. I think it's a good event. Yeah, it is, and it's a different skill set to do well at these races. Um, I don't want to go on too much about what happened in the races because it's all the coverage is up there, and even if you know the winner, we will mention the winners, but even if you know that, it's still entertaining to, to watch because I watched it most of it yesterday. <coughs> I knew who won, but I didn't really know what happened. Uh, and, yeah, there's 20, plenty of twists and turns. I just think when you watch it, like what's really cool is – the the combination of the computer graphics and the the, the you know the live feed, um, the format of the racing is really cool. Mm-hmm. Watching them get off that the treadmill or the bike going to the swim, mm-hmm. oh my god! Because it's just to the rivet to the whole race, isn't it? Max 
not max effort, but extremely hard. Just, and what I think is really exciting about it is at the moment, this is a response to COVID, so there's no crowds. Imagine a crowd. I'd be ballistic. Had a big screen. Yeah. Had a crowd, you know, like you think of like an NBA basketball game where they've got that big screen drop down. If you could have a crowd of like 10,000 people in that stadium mm. and – you know, because watching people on a treadmill, you know, they tried this in the 80s mm-hmm. and it kind of never really went anywhere. But there was a combination of the graphics that go alongside this. Because you can't see, when someone's running on a treadmill, you can't tell. No. But with, the, with, with running works really well. And, and you'll see, you know, the females race was actually really exciting, you know, with one of the runs. Um, yeah, I think, I think that early days, this could be something that, in, you know, five years from now, which is a really cool inclusion. One thing I'm interested in is... is how do the athletes find this mentally in comparison to racing outside? Oh, you know, right. because watching on the treadmill, one thing was interesting watching on the treadmill, how their technique is different. They're mm. very upright, mm-hmm. you know, like because those treadmills have that kind of curve to it. Mm. Um, and it was just interesting watching their running because they almost look like um, like an ostrich yeah. when they're running because they're so upright in their position. Um, but I just think the potential for this, because imagine if they did a tour where they went around to all the big cities in New Zealand and, you know, Go along, go down to Jade Stadium or something like that, or go to the, the Horncastle, and mm-hmm. you go and watch it, wouldn't you? Oh, without a doubt. And, and, yeah. and it's short entertainment, so it's two hours of entertainment. You don't have to be there all day, and you could do it like on a Friday or Saturday night. And short and races, so each race was only about 10 minutes, and mm-hmm. they have a short break in between. Oh, they must be buggered by the end of it. Yeah, so I, th- I thought with this round, it was a step up from the previous round, the first one they did in Rotterdam in terms of the coverage. They said nothing, from what I saw, nothing really seemed to go wrong. Yeah. And I can't remember, what, did stuff go wrong in the first one? It didn't really go wrong, but you had little things like guys were running in bare feet and it wasn't really fair. Like, yep. fair enough, you, 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 if you want to sort of take the rules to, yeah. you know, play, play with the rules, Which they stopped fine. this time. Um, they stopped this time and and it looked like the transitions were all fair. And, and, and I like the, the fact that they, they, they make them put the, the swim cap on. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, you know, like really it's not needed mm-hmm. in a race of this size, but it just adds it, you know, because it did add, a couple of people didn't get the cap on well. Mm-hmm. There's little dynamics that are still true to triathlon. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I, doing one of those races, oh, Tough. mate. And, the, and, the, and you didn't get a dominator Really? Uh, no, you didn't. You, you, no, could no. Get, you have different winners based off people's different Then both the men's and the female's race, the podium was not sorted out until the very end of the race. Mm. So um, I just think it's a really cool inclusion to the sport. Uh, as, a, as a visual spectacle, I think oh, as a TV product, mm. it's, it's pretty good. Mm. It'd be interesting to see. Uh, I did think that the, the side commentator could have been a bit more excited. On the side of the pool? No, the or? guy. The, so you had Macker and some other guy. Oh, he's good, I reckon. I, I just thought there was moments where he could have lifted his game as mm. an excitement factor. In his defence, he was probably sitting in a booth in Australia, in his, in his home in Australia. Okay. <laughs> it was just like there was moments where, I don't know, like he was, don't get me wrong, I think he's great, but I just thought there was moments where he needed to bring a bit more energy to help, you know, mm. some of those swims where key mm. things were happening in the race. Maybe we won't even mention the winners here, Bevan, because I think people can go and watch it. It's, Dude, it's, a lot so of you guys have got... Uh, Trainer time at the moment, so go and watch Super League. Uh, I watched it on triathlonlive.tv, uh, is just it's on there for f- free to watch. However, the one thing that was interesting on that, they started the coverage like 
it might have been an hour before they started and it was just random camera shots and it had uh, I was fast forwarding it but at times it just had the commentators kind of chatting amongst themselves oh really which was really random any swear words I didn't notice any no? so you need to fast forward till yeah, maybe an hour or so I'm not sure if it's on, on other channels but another good step in the right direction and, and the cool thing was it wasn't a world it was a really quality good field but it wasn't all the rock stars but it was still entertaining viewing yeah yeah Close racing, good to see. Nice work, Super League. Yeah, good stuff. Um, it is on YouTube. I'll put a link to it in this week's show notes so you can cool. get that there. Okay, guys, this week's discussion. What has been the what is the biggest motivator for you when you're in a dark place in a race, Jumbo? Uh, and the first up, Belfong. Knowing you have a cheer squad of people just around the corner. Hashtag, hashtag not hashtag, hashtag. <laughs> don't stop. People are watching. Okay, good old Steve Diodonis has got <coughs> tall, parabola, parabola. Uh, oh, this pain is an illusion. Obviously, it's a tall song. Do you yeah. listen to tall? I <coughs> do not. No, I don't. Yeah. But they had that one album that was really big when they first came out. Mm. Okay. Mickey Sweetman, uh, she was racing up at Ironman New Zealand at the weekend, worrying I'll keep the kids up far past their bedtime if I don't get my Shit, sorted out. That's that's a real mother's kind of approach, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I bet you've never thought to yourself, I need to get home for Belinda and the kids. In uh, a race. Not really. No. <laughs> uh, Clive Aspen's got the faster I go, the quicker it stops hurting. That's a good one. I kind of agree with that too. Uh, if you're having a bad day, the quicker you're going to get to the finish line, the yeah. quicker it can stop. Yep. John Weir, uh, if you stop during the swim, you're going to drown. Arnold's got, I turn on my front light. Well, he does all these races into the oh because it's a dark place funny guy yeah hey i'm here all week john the mincer mincy (laughs) i remind myself how fortunate i am to have a body that allows me to do this and that one day it will not be possible but that day is not today so time to embrace the suck good old ruth gray's got the coca-cola on the last lap so she obviously delays the moment for the treat Mm. she's got liquid magic Luke Gilmore, I think this is just a bad patch. This is why you are here. Work through it. It will pass. <laughs> Good old Toby Chanel's got uh, the look of disapproval on my kid's face combined with the well time. Jeez, Dad, you're so slow. <laughs> uh, last one I will do, and this is a bit of a piss take from Edward Evans, a 2021 medal from Ironman. Oh, wait. So if you remember from last year, uh, from last Last week, week, sorry, uh, if you're doing Ironman Australia, you're getting a 2020 medal. I reckon they'll probably turn around and try to get some 2021 medals given the backlash. Good old Dean, I'm going to say Mulligridge, has got here. Think about the light at the end of the tunnel, but he's got a picture of Darth Vader with a lightsaber. Mm -hmm. You've got to face that light. Nice. (sighs) So so the question was... uh, what is the biggest motivator for you when what, you're yeah, in a dark yeah, what place gets you through? in a race? And for me, and I've said this probably a million times, it's very process-driven for me. It's accepting that... Um, yeah, but there's that, a moment where it goes past that. Oh, I, you never well, go past that moment. Uh, well, I don't... Uh, the kids don't... I mean, this... No, 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 I'm not saying kids, but like to me, I always be process-driven to a point. Mm-hmm. And then there's a point where I go emotion. Like mm-hmm. I said, last two or three K, you've got 10 minutes to go. Sure, think about your technique, but actually it's it's... There's, there's another place I go to. No, for you know me it's I mean? process. It's like if I'm hurting, it's like I've got to get to the next kilometre marker and I'm going to so try you, to do it in this time. So you go quite practical breaking down. Yeah. And and, and not, not the other thing is I've just got to want to get to this finish line because the quicker I do this, it's all going to be over. Okay, so for me, 
if I can use music, I'm going to put music on. Not coming to many of my races, you're not. Do you not let people use music at your races? Hell no. Well, even Abs- if it's a running aspect? Absolutely no uh, way in hell. Uh, if yourself. I see people doing that, I am you're disqualifying you. If you did running races, you, you couldn't nowadays. I don't reckon you could do a running race without putting music, letting people do music. It's stupid. It's, it's a health and safety hazard. I saw an article in the paper. Some I know that woman, girl. Yeah. I know really well. I bet you do. She'd be probably let her come running with your music, with your group. Well, that's Should not. Absolute health and safety hazard. And... Embrace being an event. Embrace the people around you. I I know it's a, it's a performance improvement, and I've said this before, but I just think it does not should not be involved in sport. Well, I disagree. It's fine. I think music is a great motivator, and for me, if I'm in a race and I can get the right song, if I've got five ten minutes to go and I've got a song that like right now I'm loving Chop Suey mm-hmm. by System of the Down. Have you heard that song? Uh, may have done. Wake I'm up. not sure. Wake up. Um, it's probably one of the greatest rock songs of all time. Um, absolutely brilliant song. If I put that on and I'm training, I'm going to the next level. Yeah, but I don't dispute that. So at all. that's a big one. I I I, I use questions that drive um, focus. So I, like I did a race a couple of years ago and I was doing this really hard hill climb at the end of it, and the question I got was. Um, uh, what can I do right now to guarantee a great performance? And I'll use it as an affirmation. Or I'll use like, how can I stay as close to the edge as possible? You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I go to who am I as a person? Mm-hmm. So I go deep into that place. Like, who are you as a person? Why? Because ultimately I want to get to the end of this race going, you prove that you are who you say you are. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, you know, because it's, it's split decisions of giving up, isn't mm-hmm. it? It's split decisions of, oh, I might just drop back 5%. And I want to get through that last, whatever it is in a race, that last little period where I get to the end of that race and go, you know what? I, I Every moment that thought popped up, I still responded in a way that let me act well. And so for me, I just think of who are you as a person? You're here for a challenge. This is why you're doing it. Come on, I'll face up to the challenge. So I, I really try to tap into emotion. Big yep. time. Good. John's, John's. No, I've discussed something else with you in a moment. Okay. So, so that's definitely for me. I, I, I actually think what you want to do is, I, my, my kind of advice always to people is when, you, when you're doing a race, you want to be process driven and you want to make wise decisions. So you need a plan, you want to you know, stick to that plan. But there's a moment in the race when you've got an opportunity to achieve the goal. And actually where I actually do think you want to tap into emotion. Still, you want to keep process driven in front of you. But if you can tap into emotion, because if you can tap into the right emotion, it takes you to another place. I've got no emotions, Bevan. Yeah, no, that's the problem. <laughs> I'm sure Belinda will agree. Uh, this week's one, I've been watching a few triathlons in the last few weeks uh, as a race organiser and spent a lot of time watching racing on Sunday. What bugs you when you're spectating at triathlon events? Oh, this is basically so John can vent for half an hour, is it? Getting there. Getting there. Okay, that's this week's discussion. Again, what will bug you when you're a spectator at a triathlon event? John, we've got an interview. We have. We are talking with John, the mountain snail, Hancock. Here he is right now. Rodeo team, uh, backed by popular demand, is uh, one of the stars of I Am Talk, one of long-time listeners and probably making about his 10th or so uh, appearance on the show. We've got John, the mountain snail, Hancock. Welcome along to the show. Hey, John. Sounds a bit desperate, doesn't it? Sort of scratching, <laughs> scratching around for reasons to come back on. <laughs> it's not desperate at all. You've been on an epic adventure. So John, is, uh, as you guys know, may or may not know, he's been an epic camper now. He's been an I Am Talk camper. Uh, he's done Iron Man and uh, now sort of delving into a different world of sort of doing Brecker. And you may have heard a couple of weeks ago on the show, he uh, completed this length 
of swimming Lake Topo, which is, uh, we're going to find out a distance, but it's 40-something kilometres, and it's a bloody long way. So, John, first up, um, where on earth did you get the challenge of making this swimming journey? Ah, right. Well, it's, um, it's, a, it's a thing, this, this swim. Um, I mean, some people probably are familiar with some of the great um, ocean swims around the world. You know, so the obvious one is the English Channel, which um, lots, lots of people do nowadays as a sort of challenge. Um, and in New Zealand, the, the great challenge is to swim the Cook Strait, which is the water between the North and South Island. Um, but the, the Cook Strait's actually part of a, a, a group of swims called the Triple Crown. And the other two swims are uh, to swim the Fevo Strait, which is between Stewart Island and the South Island, um, where we finished Epic Camp, actually. Yeah. Um, uh, and then the third swim is to swim the, uh, the longest axis of Lake Topor. So... Um, for people who aren't familiar with New Zealand, so the North Island of New Zealand, it looks like a bagel, and, there's a, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and the hole in the middle of the bagel is, um, it's, it's actually the caldera of an extinct volcano, which was one of the biggest volcanoes in history. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it's, as you say, it's, it's 40.2 kilometers on its longest axis, which goes from the bottom left-hand corner, uh, in a little place called Little Waihee, to the top right-hand corner, which is where Topor Township is, and that, that's where Ironman New Zealand is held. So, in fact, that's where Ironman New Zealand is happening last weekend. Yeah. So you exit the swim at this, basically, the swim exit of... Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so it's, it's at the Yacht Club. So the last 200 metres of the swim was familiar. So that was great. Um, uh, I, was, I was hoping they'd actually have the course out because they often have the... Ironman swim course out for a week or so beforehand. Yeah. And when I did it, it was it was two weeks before the rescheduled date for Ironman New Zealand, so the course wasn't there. But um, um, I did actually recognise a couple a couple of the boys from when we'd done <laughs> swim training and think it was quite a nice quite a nice feeling to finish. So uh, what's the, what's the motivation so. for you to do this? You know, because there's no certificates or uh, medals at the end. Um, it's more about personal satisfaction. But what was sort of what drove you to, to decide you want to take it on? Ah, oh, it's an Ed Hillary physics there answer, really, isn't it? Yeah. I think, I mean, when I was researching it, um, uh, it, it looks like it, um, about 60 people have done the swim in history. And yeah. so it's a pretty unusual thing to have done. But 10 of the people I swim with regularly have done it. Hmm. So it's actually, it's actually quite a normal thing in my weird Wellington old person swimming community. Yeah. Um, and one of, one of the inspirations was, uh, one of the, the women I swim with, she, she did it about four years ago, three years ago, and she wasn't a competitive swimmer at all. Um, you know, she played football, got injured and got into it. Um, and really off absolutely nothing managed to do what struck me as just the most extraordinary thing. Um, but I suppose the real inspiration is, um, is uh is one of my my local coaches so this is a, a kiwi m marathon swimmer um phil rutch so phil is um i mean he it's probably not exaggerating to say he's one of the greatest marathon his, uh, swimmers in history so phil um when he was um younger he 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 held every single speed record for the english channel 
So going one way, going the other way. And his records for the two and three time crossing of the English Channel still stand. Yeah. So they've, they've stood for 34 years. I mean, that is absolutely extraordinary because there have been a lot of people tried to break them in the meantime. Yeah. Um, and Phil also holds the record for the two-time crossing of the Cook Strait and, interestingly, the one- and two-time crossing of Lake Topol. So I think his, his view about trying to swim Cook Strait as a solo, unless you're a veteran marathon swimmer, is he tries to get people to swim the lake one season and then to do Cook Strait the following season because it's much, it's much simpler. I wouldn't say it's easier, easier because it's, mm. it's 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 further. But you don't have to deal with currents and tides. Mm. Um, the weather's generally a bit more settled, and it's warmer. That's the other thing. So the lake was just under twenty degrees when I did it, nice. and and obviously you're doing this. You know, it's marathon swimming rules, so you do it in a pair of togs with a swim cap and a pair of goggles and that's it but you're not allowed anything else so no wetsuits or anything like that and in 20 degree water that's fine all day but in um like cook straight at the moment sort of 16 17 degrees yeah um and and you know if you're in that for 10 to 12 hours that you can get pretty cold pretty quickly um if you're not conditioned for it so yeah, that's, that's one of my other questions around sort of rules. You know, you mentioned a couple there. It's just done in um, in your togs and goggles and cap. Um, what other rules do you, do you need to be aware of with this open water swimming in terms of feeding and things like that? Um, yeah, you, um, I mean, you're allowed outside assistance in as much as people feed you on on the way, but you're not allowed to touch anything um, that could could help you. So the setup is, um, well, the way Phil does it, um, there's an IRB with your navigator and, um, and a feeder, and, and, and you're literally swimming next to the IRB the whole time, and every half an hour you stop for a feed. Mm -hmm. But what they'll do is they'll pass you the things, and you're not allowed to hold onto the boat um, mm -hmm. or anything. And then there's a launch with um, a few other people, um, uh, other feeders who rotate, take turns, um, somebody plotting the course. Um, but again, you're not allowed to touch the, the launch or get any uh, sort of physical help from that. Mm -hmm. um, and people always love to know this, you know, in terms of your preparation, um, how long was it and, and what were some of the specifics around getting yourself up for, you know, a pretty long day at the office? Yeah, well, I mean, um, the, the, the specific preparation for this was quite short because um, this stupid guy in Christchurch got me to do this ridiculous triathlon <laughs> last year. So I spent most of the second half of last year cycling because I've done so little cycling um, to get ready for Epic Camp. That's all I had time to do. Um, uh, so come sort of the bounce back after Epic Camp, I didn't do very much in November after Epic Camp. And then I thought, right, well, Christmas holidays, I'll get stuck into this and then I can have a three month build. Mm -hmm. um, but um, I didn't, I, I don't know, you probably find the same thing, you know, Christmas holidays, you're sort of oh, juggling yeah. family and friends and stuff like that. So I did some long swimming down in Wanaka. Um, and uh, that was probably quite a good start. Um, and I did do a, Actually, it's local for you. I did a cold water swim camp in Lake Brunner um, mm -hmm. in, the, in the Southern Alps. So Dan Abel, who you've had on the podcast before, he specializes in sort of uh, organizing sort of training events for long distance swimmers. So I suppose that was what kickstarted it in December. 
But I didn't really get serious about it until we got back from the Christmas holidays. So that's sort of second week of January time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sat down with Phil and I said, right, what do I need to do to get ready? And he said, oh, it's quite easy, really. You just need to do three weeks of 50 kilometers a week. <laughs> and I thought, you've got to be joking. That's <laughs> insane. Because, you know, you just work it out. If you swim at about three kilometers an hour average with breaks and stuff like that, that's 17 hours swimming a week. Yeah. So that's like, that's like training for an Ironman, but just swimming. <laughs> um, so uh, um, I was really quite sceptical about my ability to do that, if I'm absolutely frank. Um, and, and, and also, I was sort of coming off a base of doing sort of 10, um, 10 to 20k a week. So this is you know, sort of three to four times the volumes that I've been used to doing. Yeah. Um, but um, uh, I, I built up sort of adding 5k a week um to the point where i got to 40k then i had a week off and then i did the three weeks at 50k and um uh i think i mean to be fair to him phil is a very shrewd judge of character i think he 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 designed a a sort of campaign we didn't really design a campaign for me at all he basically just told me what to do and let me get on with it yeah and Having spoken to him, he said, it, it sort of worked with you because you've done so much endurance stuff in the past. You know, I mean, I know all about periodization and all that stuff. So I was quite capable of designing my own program around mm. my life. Um, but I think psychologically forcing me to do something that I just thought was completely ridiculous and then succeeding at it put me in a much better mental state um, for, for doing the swim, which I was pretty intimidated by. You know, even even in, in January, I wasn't at all sure whether I'd be able to do it. Mm. Um, but I did the first week of 50K and I didn't feel too bad. And then I did the second one and felt okay. And suddenly thought, crikey, I'm nearly there. This is, this is incredible. And then it's just the taper and we get into it. Mm. Um, but you have to be very, very organized. I mean, it's even worse than Ironman, I think, in terms of the sort of personal discipline and organization, just to find the time to do all this stuff and to make it enjoyable. So I did quite a lot of sort of banking swims next to swim squad sessions, you know, so I'd do swim squad for an hour and a bit and then I'd stay in for another hour and a bit in order to get the distance up to sort of seven or eight K and you have to do that several times a week. Um, Mm. And I went off and did a few adventures around the country. Uh, It was quite fun. Cool. Um, Yeah. So when you'd um, obviously you got the training under your belt, um, what concerns did you still have going into the swim other than it's obviously a bloody long way? Was there any specific worries you had uh, around completing it or, or any fears that you had? <clears throat> Not really. Um, I, th- I think particularly having done those three over distance weeks, that, that really did sort of deal with the, the biggest anxieties that I've had, which was simply about my ability to, to tolerate the, um, the distance. I mean, another thing that Phil did with me, I found when I did my first week at 40K, I was very, very sore and uncomfortable afterwards. And one of the other local marathon swimmers said to me, you know, cup of tea and Voltaren, that's what you need. So I I didn't go that hard, but I had some ibuprofen. And it it, it was amazing, actually, how much it loosened everything up. And so I was talking to Phil and I said, shit, you know, pardon me, not meant to swear on the podcast. Are oh, we? that's you absolutely know, fine. <laughs> <laughs> what, you know, um, you know, what's the medication strategy? Because I really do think I'm, my back's going to lock up and my arms will get so sore I won't be able to carry on. 
Um, and Phil's quite an old school sort of coach. And he said, right, well, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to stop taking medication when you're training. I want yeah. you to, I want you to push through all of these pieces of uncomfort, of discomfort. Um, and then we can worry about medication on the day. Thank you very much, John, but I want you to really punish your body and getting ready. And, yeah. and, and that was great actually. I, um, because what I found was, um, every day I was getting into the pool and I felt, um, really sore and stiff um but actually after about 20 minutes half an hour i did loosen up without mm -hmm. any medication so i did all of that high volume training without any um pain or inflammation relief at all mm -hmm. and again that 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 was important um in terms of sort of getting my head straight and i, th I think i mean the other thing that didn't nag at me a little bit was the water temperature i was i'm, I'm not great in cold water and i've mm -hmm. I found swimming even swimming in wellington harbour for more than an hour or two, I start getting really cold. You know, your sort of little fingers start going numb. And mm. before you know it, you know, you're really not, not in a very good place. Um, and um, whereas, uh, you know, the, the lake being that much warmer, um, uh, it, it, it sort of reassured me because I'd done a lot of stuff in warmer water um, mm. than, than Wellington, which, which went quite well. So again, traveling around the country, swimming, I did, I did um, some stuff up around Tauranga and uh, did an amazing training swim in a place called Lake Rotomar. If you, mm -hmm. uh, if you, it's, it's, it's actually the, the turnaround on the Rotorua Half Ironman. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and it's a lovely lake, but they have this very long standing race where they lay a one and a half kilometer triangular course with a, a rope that's about a meter and a half under the water yeah and 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 you do laps so the great thing about it is that you can follow the course without having to lift your head to sight yeah because uh, one of the problems with swimming for such a long time is if you lift your head to sight you actually get a really sore neck mm. so you want to try and keep your head down so when you're doing the main swim obviously you've got the irb next to you so you don't have to worry about where you're going because they're doing that mm. but in training swims <laughs> if you're in open water you do have to sight but in this case it's this really surreal day where you spend five hours swimming around the 1500 meter course mm, 10 cool. times <laughs> you, you mentioned um the lake being warm but you're probably still going to get cold um i'm always intrigued in terms of you know, i suppose if we move on to the, the event itself what do you do race morning in terms of uh do you cover yourself in vaseline and and what do you do to to sort of get yourself ready on race morning well a lot of it was very it was sort of recall Ironman, really. Um, we, we had a lot of conversations about this in terms of getting ready, because actually as an activity, it is quite like doing Ironman. It takes a similar length of time. Um, the training's quite similar in terms of volumes. So, um, uh, the, I mean, the main things you need to worry about on the day are sun protection, because obviously you're not wearing a wetsuit and you're out all day. And mm. you generally try and choose a day where it's reasonably sunny because that keeps you warm when the sun's on your back. Mm -hmm. But so that was, you know, Kona sun, uh, sun protection strategy. So you have a shower, hot shower the night before and you apply your sunblock while your pores are open mm -hmm. and let it soak in and seep with that. And then when you get up in the morning, you reapply the sunblock um, and have something to eat. Um, so I have to say, oh, here's the thing. So Mountain Snail Junior has gone vegan, right. as you do. Yeah. And uh, so we've gone vegan when he's here. Yeah. And one of the things that he got into was oat milk. I've always had a real problem with eating porridge and muesli in the morning with 
cow's milk. I find it mm -hmm. repeats on me. But oat milk is much less, um, oh, what's the word? In Inflammatory. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's been great, actually. Yeah. So oat milks with cranberries and a little bit of sugar on my porridge. Mm -hmm. Breakfast for champions. But the, the really gross bit is the extreme sunblock. So because you're so exposed and the sun in New Zealand is very, very strong. So you do have to be really careful. Um, spending 14 hours in the sun would be a recipe for getting third degree burns, I think, if you weren't ready <laughs> yeah. for it. So, yeah. um, so the, the surf lifesavers here and in Australia, they use this awful stuff called surf mud which is, it, it's almost like foundation. It's a sort of sort of pinky brown zinc, zinc oxide based thing. And it, and it just does not come off anything. So if you get it on the furniture and the upholstery, it's there for life. <laughs> so, so, I, so I tried that and I decided it was so messy, I wasn't gonna bother. And then the guys told me that you can actually use um, the, stuff, the stuff that you use for nappy rash. So there's a brand of nappy rash cream called Sudacrem, which is, it's about 15% zinc oxide, and it's the cheapest form of extreme sunblock. <laughs> so, so, so we used about a tub of Sudacrem on me, um, uh, um, which was pretty ridiculous. So you look like a ghost, that's the other thing, because it's white. You know, when you see the cricketers and they've got mm -hmm. the sort of white, white zinc oxide paste on their noses to try and protect them from the sun. I mean, that's basically what I had on all over. Um, and then you have to get to the start. So we were we were staying in uh, Turangi and um, Little Waihee's, I don't know, it's about five minutes around the corner. So we had to drive, um, you know, and you're sort of covered in this white paint. <laughs> desperately, <laughs> desperately trying not to get it all over the car and, um, and other people and then reapply it. Um, and then when you get there, um, the support team needs to be shuffled onto the launch and then it's just it's just you. Um, and uh, I think because it was quite cold um, in the morning, so the water was nearly 20 degrees, but the air temperature was about 10 degrees because we started yeah. at half past four in the morning. Um, so Phil, he didn't put goose fat on me. Apparently goose fat isn't what you do these days. He used ball bearing grease. Where he gets <laughs> this from a, from a motor mechanic and he's got this really gross sort of like ice ice cream tub with this sort of, gelatinous yuck <laughs> and yeah. and so he put that all around my organs so around my kidneys and places like that and that's that's the the sort of thermal insulation to try and keep you warm in the in the early hours um but it's a very sort of unspectacular start you know he um he sort of puts the grease on you and then says right walk down the boat ramp wait for my count and then you just get in and start swimming and, uh, and in my case, I got in and started swimming and went straight into a huge pile of duckweed. <laughs> and of course, you can't see a thing because it's pitch dark. Um, so it took a little while to fight my way through all of that. And then you get past the five knot speed boy, which is, you know, sort of marking the edge of the, uh, um, uh, the marina around the, the place where you start. And then you're off. Uh, and then 14 hours later, you wash up in, <laughs> in, the, in the yacht club in Topol. <laughs> so give it, I want to make sure there's time for your high five because you've done a mountain snail high five on, on sort of getting ready for this. Um, but give us, just give us a summary of, of how the swim kind of went and the challenges you faced and, and sort of maybe any surprises that jumped out at you. Yeah. Um, I talked to quite a lot of people who've done it before, which helped in terms of, 
breaking it up. I mean, I suppose st structure is everything when, um, when you're doing these really long events. And obviously the difference between doing something like this and doing an ultra marathon is that, you know, most of the time you've got your head down in the water, so you can't see what, what's around you. But the, the irony is that even when you lift your head up to breathe, when you're in the middle of the lake, you can't see anything because you're in the middle of a massive lake. Um, and, and obviously your eyes are at water level, so you can't even see the hills or anything like that. Um, so I did have to do a lot of work preparing to, sorry, Mark Allen, isn't it, to quiet the mind um, yeah. and, and just really try and center myself. Um, and it was one of the things that Phil was most worried about. He said, of all the people he's taken across the lake, I mean, he put it, and you've got quite a busy mind, John, so we need to, <laughs> we need to do something just to calm you down. Um, and, I mean, in truth, there were only, there was one five-hour section that was very difficult because it was completely featureless. So the structure of the swim, you start sort of three to four o'clock in the morning, depending on how cold it is. I mean, ideally you'd start earlier, but if you spend too long swimming before the sun comes up, the risk is that you get too cold. Mm -hmm. So because it was a very cold morning, we started quite late. So 4.30 is about as late as he likes to leave. Um, and, and those first two or three hours are just so extraordinary. The time passed quite quickly, you know, so the experience of swimming in the dark, mm -hmm. um, the IRBs sort of all decked up in what looked like Christmas tree lights. They're sort of little LEDs. So that's, that's all you can see. Um, and then on the Eastern side of the lake, um, the skyline starts to light up as the sun starts to rise in the, in the far distance, which is pretty magical really. And it was a little bit cloudy when I started, but after about an hour, the clouds parted and then you could see the stars. And this is amazing because obviously the optical clarity of the um, of the sky above the center of the lake is amazing. There's absolutely no visual pollution because there aren't any settlements or lights or anything. So it's really, really clear. Mm -hmm. um, and you get these amazing um, glimpses because it's every time you turn to breeze of, of the starry sky and then the silhouettes of the skyline as the sun's starting to come up. Mm. Um, and obviously the sunrise was extraordinary, um, you know, because it's sort of, you know, sort of like, um, it's like a Sibelius anthem, really, isn't it? And, <laughs> yeah, the trumpets blasting. And all. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, that, that's it. And, it. and it's funny, actually, a friend of mine who, um, who did it about 10 years ago, she said that's the bit that she still really remembers was watching the sun come up um, and thinking, you know, how how few people have seen that in, in yeah. that sort of experience. Um, so that was quite good, actually. That bit of the day passed pretty quickly. And then um, one of the two bits which almost caught me out was um, obviously you, you pick days where it's really calm because if it's too choppy, it's just too hard, really. I mean, I'm sure if you're a legend, you can do it. Mm. But most people, you want to try and make it as easy as possible because it's hard enough. Um, and so we picked this day and the wind forecast was essentially there wasn't going to be any wind and um so that was how it was when we started and then just after dawn um it started getting really choppy and i thought oh god this is going to be horrific if it's like this for another 10 hours what am i, <laughs> what am I up to um and i stopped for the feed and phil said don't worry about it this is just the morning breeze so what's happening is that the sun hits the land, the land warms up and you get this offshore breeze just while the, the land's warming up. 
Um, and it was quite rough, actually, for about an hour and a half. And so that was, in a funny way, I mean, although it was, it, it was mentally quite hard because I hadn't anticipated that, um, it did <laughs> force me to really concentrate on my technique. You know, so I was trying to really, really hold my form to spear through the waves and not get um, sloppy with everything. Yeah. Um, so again, that was something to really focus on. And, and, and I, I was quite literally just thinking about my stroke, my breathing, my catch, my pull through, um, all the things that we've spent hundreds of hours <laughs> working on, um, in squads over the years. Um, and that sort of time passed. And so th there's one feature in the swim. So there's an Island that's about halfway up the lake. And uh, some of my swim run friends said to me that I really disappointed them because I didn't get out and run over the island because that would have been, that would, that would have been the, uh, the obvious thing to do. But it's would have been frowned on by the swimming fraternity. I think it would definitely have been. It's probably tapu as well, so it might have been frowned on by the Tuwharata Maori Trust Board who owned the <laughs> ancestral rights to the lake as well. Um, uh, yeah, so, but the island is quite a big deal because you can see it in the distance and then it takes, whatever, two hours to get past it, but it's a lovely feeling because, you know, when you get there, you're halfway. Um, so that's great. And then the next thing is the, um, uh, there's a, a point at the, um, at the mouth of Acacia Bay, which is the big, natural harbour of which Topor is the sort of um, uh, the head um, and between the island and the point is 15 kilometres so that's five hours and it's middle of the day and the sun is straight overhead and it's completely homogenous so nothing changes so that's the bit where you have to face your demons because you just have to swim for five hours so that was the bit that we had to sort of I don't know, recruit all of the preparation that we've done. Mm. Um, and I mean, I, although I say, I mean, I did spend a lot of time just thinking about technique and my swimming and focusing on what I was doing at that instant, um, which I've practiced a lot of. But the other thing I, I, um, I'd, I'd used before, I've done a few other fairly long swims in the past, nothing as ridiculous as this, but I found myself retracing routes in my head, you know, so, um, you know, like driving from Wellington to Topol. That's a, um, you know, it, it, it's a route that you do often enough that I can sort of remember it in my head and you trace your way through it. And um, uh, so in my preparation, I actually thought about running routes that I've done lots in my life and I can remember quite well. And uh, I was actually thinking about a lot of the runs I used to do when I was at university because I had a, a, a bunch of routes I used to do all the time. And uh, when I was retracing them in training, I found I couldn't remember bits of them. Mm -hmm. But um, incredibly, these days, you can use Google Street View and you can actually retrace the... And this is in the UK, right? When I was mm. at university. So I was retracing my way, running around North Oxford, <laughs> going mm. up the towpath. And there were bits of it that I'd completely forgotten about, but re-visualizing it um, in the week or two before the big swim, it... It was, it was such a good thing to have done because I had about five of these routes, which took me nearly two hours to replay in my head if I did yeah. them really slowly, you yeah. know, picking off every single detail and giving me something to really concentrate on. Yeah. Um, and so I was terribly pleased with myself for thinking of this solution. And then Phil yeah. said to me, um, oh, that's quite interesting, John. When I was doing my marathon swimming stuff, I was a dustman in Dunedin. 
and I used to retrace my dustbin routes in my head. So, <laughs> <laughs> and he was he was visualising every single dustbin that he'd go and visit on his round. Yes. And he said, but the trouble is, the round took three hours, so I needed other things to think about the rest of the time. But um, yes. yeah, that's the only really weird bit of preparation that I did. But it did work very well, actually. So it's quite quite successful. <laughs> And so uh, coming into sort of the, the final third or so, um, I assume it started to get pretty hard. Uh, well, this is where I was allowed some anti-inflammatories. So I, I was allowed some ibuprofen and my back was locking up at one point. And um, I was amazed at the difference it made. So just taking the ibuprofen, and I think it's more because it's an anti-inflammatory, mm -hmm. it just opened my back up. And then suddenly I was able to swim properly and I think the real killer is when things start hurting and you change your stroke to compensate because you're not, you know, you're not getting the correct <clears throat> propulsion from your stroke. And as soon as you cease to, you know, swim technically correctly, you slow down. And then, of course, it all takes longer and it all gets harder. So um, after that, I, I actually found I mean, probably for about four hours after taking, um, taking some ibuprofen, my, my stroke actually improved. And I, I picked my cadence up a little bit. And um, the guy said that, you know, it was really interesting, the difference in my, in my technique. So they, in a funny way, because, you know, because it got difficult and then it, it wasn't difficult. I was actually um, in quite a good place mentally um, and, uh, you know, sort of quite happy with how it was all going. But there was a bit coming into the point just at the mouth of Acacia Bay. And I supported a couple of friends doing the swim last year. And um, I do remember they slowed down enormously when they got to about 5K off the point. And, um, and the reason is that there's a, there's a rather unusual current that comes out of the bay, um, which you're swimming straight into. And of course, what happened to me is um, I just ground to a pole and you know, you're sort of ticking off time and distance in your head. And it just felt like I wasn't making any progress. And um, Phil said, yeah, well, that's the current, isn't it? You've just got to swim through it. And I thought, oh, God, you know, this is taking so long. And it's a bit of a nightmare and everything. So that was quite hard. And again, I think my problem was I hadn't anticipated it. You know, I think I was a little bit too rose-tinted in the way I was thinking about the whole swim, but, you know, because the prep had gone quite well. So again, that could have got me wrong. Um, but I sort of kept going and tried to sort of not fall to pieces and keep my keep my shape um and then the lovely thing of course is you get to the point and then you speed up um and uh so when you get to the point you've got six k six seven k to go from there to um the township so it feels like you're there but actually that's more than two hours <laughs> you still, still still got to keep going um because, I mean, it's, it, you, you're swimming reasonably slowly because it's fresh water and you're not wearing a wetsuit. So, you know, you're sitting there with your Ironman swim time in your head and you reckon you should be able to do 4K an hour. But um, there aren't very many people who manage to swim that distance in fresh water without a wetsuit at 4K an hour, unless yeah. they're, you know, elite swimmers. Yeah, um, uh, yeah so, um, and I remember when, uh, when the guys were doing it last year, Phil... <laughs> As soon as we got to the point, Phil goes, right, we're there. Let's get on with it. And basically just barked at them for the next two hours and made them sprint into the shore for, you know, yeah. for two hours. And he said to me, I won't do that with you, John. It'll be fine. I think we just need to get there. And I thought, thank God for that. <laughs> and then about 40 minutes before we got to the end, um, with 2K to go, that's exactly what he started doing. And I thought, 
oh, you dick, this is just really unfair because I am actually quite tired and this is quite sore and this is just your idea of a, of a joke. Um, and he was like, go, go, get on with it. Let's pick up the cadence, blah, blah, blah. Um, and anyway, I sort of, you know, played along with it and I was trying to swim as fast as I could, probably very slowly by that point. Um, and we got there um, and uh, I was thinking maybe this is to try and get your adrenaline going. It's, you know, because, you know, you speed up and it's all happening. I even actually managed to sort of half run up the beach to get out of the water before I fell flat on my face. <laughs> but he said what, what had actually happened, and this is an Ironman thing, um, the, uh, um, the Ironman swim course is very, very near the exit from the lake where <laughs> the, the water flows into the Waikato River. And the, uh, the river's a controlled river. It's got five hydroelectric power stations on it. So the control gates are literally just around the corner from the Ironman Swim Stars. And um, what had happened is somebody had opened, well, somebody, the, uh, Mercury had opened the control gates. And so there's actually quite a strong current that comes around the mm. corner past the Yacht Club. Now, apparently this used to happen during Ironman some years. And, it, and these days, I think the coordination's much better, so it doesn't. But what, what had happened is there was this really strong current and Phil was trying to get me to take this very direct route into the thing, into the yacht club. And he realized that if I slowed down, I'd get sucked off to the left. And then you have to swim against the current to sort of crawl your way up the beach, which is just awful. I've done that in some mm. um, uh, sea swims and it's so hard. So he was trying to get me to speed up just so that we didn't get caught out by the, uh, by the current. Yeah, but that was, um, that was something. Uh, and my arms didn't fall off, which is amazing. So there Good. you go. <laughs> and obviously feeling pretty satisfied at the end with the job well done. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, and drawing on my base, I mean, a lot of it, it was doing all the things that I did when I was doing Ironman. You know, nutrition strategy was quite similar. Training strategy was quite similar, even though it was just swimming. But the specificity of some of the stuff we were doing was very similar. Um and I actually quite enjoyed some of the really long training, which is surprising, but there you go. Great. Um, We've got a mountain snail high five. I don't know if you've got in front of you. Or I have. I've you printed have. it out. Right. Yes. Far away in, in typical Iron Talk fashion, high five, uh, quick fire in, in terms of getting yourself uh, to finish line of one of these epic swims. Yeah, it's my high five on marathon swimming. So number one is you need to surround yourself with people who want you to succeed and you need to jettison anyone who wants to be involved for other reasons. And I do think this is one of the reasons that I didn't have too many doubts going into it, that I, I didn't have any negative people around me when I was uh, getting ready. Uh, number two, John, is you need to get a coach who's prepared people for something like this before. Mm. So I don't, I don't think they necessarily have to have prepared you for doing a 40-kilometer swim, but they have to have prepared people to do something like this before. Mm -hmm. Number three, I think you'll like... And that's, you need to do what your coach tells you to do. Oh, so my goodness. I wonder if I, <laughs> this, this is crazy, <laughs> craziness. Uh, number four is very Ironman. So you need to simulate and practice everything. Um, and for something like this, that includes being inside your own head for hours at a time, which we talked about. And then number five is you need to focus on technique and efficiency constantly. And I think in swimming, this is the, single most important thing um one of my coaches in wellington who's an ex-olympian who used to be the high performance director for new zealand swimming he said you know when you're when you're swimming you you know the question is do you want to be a bus or, or a ferrari 
Um, uh, so, um, you know, if, if you're a bus, it doesn't matter what you do, there's a limit to how fast you can go. But if you're a Ferrari and you're beautifully aerodynamic, if you put the right fuel in, you can go incredibly quickly. But mm. if you don't have the hydrodynamics and you don't have good propulsion, then you're always going to be a bus. Um, and it's so true, isn't it? I think um, of the three triathlon disciplines, this thing about technique in swimming, because the resistance of water is so great, it really does make all the difference. Mm. I definitely think number four for most people will be the biggest challenge in terms of uh, being in your own head for hours on end. Because I think I can I can uh, appreciate, and a lot of people could, you know, ultra running and, and ultra biking, you know, it's a bloody long way. But when you're biking, you've got something to look at, you've got power to look at, you can focus on cadence, um, and, and you can get easily stop and, and get support. But with the swimming, you just head down, looking at nothing for whatever, 14 hours or so. So I think that must have been uh, a huge challenge. Yes, but successfully accomplished. So. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> You've got to go off and go to a conference. I've got to go off and record the rest of the show. So as always, Mountain Snail, thank you very much for your time. And you'll be uh, welcomed back onto the show uh, come October for Epic that's, Camp. That's right. Yes, won't be long. Oh, and congratulations to Tommy for the weekend. Yeah, no, he was sad. Sad for me. It's the it's the having been to the New Zealand secondary schools triathlon for seven years in a row. It's all in in the past now. But um, yeah, next generation taking on the mantle. <laughs> you kept dry, which is uh, more than we can say. Yes, for, it looked um, very wet. I saw I saw the videos. <laughs> yeah. Awesome, mate. Thanks so much for your time. Okay. Right, John Boy. Uh, your thoughts? Uh, it. I didn't think. I, as I kind of mentioned in this interview at the end there with John, the slightly intriguing part of this for me, being at swimming, is just having your head down for 14 hours looking into nothing. And earlier in today's show, we were sort of talking about, you know, what you do to motivate you at the end of an iron distance race. Uh, this would be taking it to a whole other extreme because in a race... You've got the crowd around, you got you can see the K's clicking off, uh, you've got a finish line sight, and but in this you're just looking at the big blue yeah. for a long time. It's a real kind of it's a real oh. kind of solo experience, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So I don't I, I, that that's probably the swimming the distance and achieving How long did it take him? fourteen hours. Jeez. So the distance is would probably not so much be the challenge, it would be the mental side of it that would be more of a challenge. And I like that it's a one day event rather than that that multi-day stuff doesn't appeal to me at all anyway bevan i don't know if you want to swim the length of uh, lake topo but uh no i have to say pretty bloody good challenge so well done to the mountain snail it's definitely something i'll be doing in the next moment of my life uh okay john but let's go to wanger of the week what's up uh it's funny when, uh, you've got to assume this is this is a uh a, a garment era here if it's not hats off to stephen dornick because he did 60 hours and two minutes of training Jeez, in 43 creepers. hours. As you guys probably know, the amount of prep we do for this section of the show is pretty minimal. So it just pops up and we go, okay, we uh, we'll give it a go. 43 hours and 42 minutes of swimming. If you did that, Stephen, hats off to you. He did 16 hours of riding and 15 minutes of running. He's from Box Hill in Victoria, Australia. Very good. I reckon. What? You reckon it's a mistake? I wonder if he did the 70.3 at the weekend because there's a picture there and he, it looks like he's from Melbourne. And I reckon he had a really bad swim, did he? I reckon he probably did the 70.3 at the weekend. He I kept his watch really, on the whole time. 
kept his watch on the whole time. I can't really see see there. So anyway, we'll give it a bit of love to second place for this week because he's a friend of the show, and it is Louis Di Giuseppe. He did twenty six hours and forty eight minutes of training. He did. 5 hours and 56 minutes on the swim, 15 hours and 57 minutes on the bike, and 4 hours and 55 minutes on the run. So Louis's done a couple of hit camps, and he's not, you know, I'm not sure what age group Louis's in, but I am guess he's definitely above, uh, I'd say he's probably in the, either 50 to 55s, maybe, 50 to Oh, I was going to say 30 to 33, mate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just, and yeah. got a couple of kids, so he's fitting in all that. He says he's a husband, a dad, an old, slow triathlete. Done say. Co- he's done Kona plenty of times. Now, Louis is a consistent being. You look at his uh, Strava profile from April or from yeah, April 2020 all the way through. There's only one week in December. That's probably Christmas time where he eased off, but every other month is very consistent. Loves to train. Very passionate man. Done a, does a lot of Zwift uh, riding and is just a triathlon anorak. Been around since the early days and still going strong. Okay, well, here you go. So I did a look, I did a Google search for Louis on uh, Google as you were talking and a, a, a an article on multisports.com. How about this for an 8-2000s website? Nice. You remember that? Yeah. Yeah, that was a big website back in the day. Uh, and it's got Louie and it's got congratulations to Louie and Pam. Yeah, Pam's wife. They got, they got married in Hawaii, but they had they basically had a bittersweet trip to Kona. Uh, both had qualified for Kona and were looking forward to making their stamp in the Ironman Hawaii. Once the race was over, they could then shift their focus to their upcoming wedding the following Monday in the beautiful Hilton Waikoloa Resort. Unfortunately, about 10 days before heading over to Hawaii, Pam crashed her bike and suffered a lot of road rash and a broken elbow, strike one. Being that Ironman was less than two weeks away, there was no way she was going to be able to make the race. Louis was still racing so she could go to support him and, of course, get ready for the wedding. Upon arriving in Kona, Louis would find out that he was suffering from a herniated disc in his neck, strike two. Dang, <laughs> stop Louis. Still hopefully, still hopeful that things might come around before race day, Louis sought out every kind of therapy possible to no avail. Uh, by Wednesday before the Ironman, it was pretty clear that the race was not on the cards. Even walking was extremely painful. Both Pam and Louis would instead be in the sidelines cheering all the participants on Alihi Drive. While I'm sure it was difficult to watch the race, knowing how badly they both wanted to participate, I think someone had a bigger and better things on their mind for the two of them. So two strikes against them. Louis and Pam hit the home run. They were able to focus on their wedding. There were many more opportunities over the years, more Ironman races, but most of, for most of us, marriage is something that will take place only once in life. Well, for, for lots of people, <laughs> for about 50% of people. Yeah. Uh, and so congratulations to the lovely bride and groom. Now, this was written, God knows when, a long time ago. Mm. Well, I've got two kids now, uh, and the kids are probably sort of in that 10 to... Okay, so this is, this is a good nostalgia here. So multisports.com. It'd be interesting. So it's Paul. That's Paul Huddle and Rob yeah. Fry. So Rob Fry, Paul, Paul Huddle, Fraser. Greg Welch, uh, Jimmy Riccatello, mm. Michael Collins. I don't know Michael Collins. Mm, yeah. Do you know Michael Collins? Yeah. No. Uh, Jade Broomgreen. Don't know him. No. Um, Terry Martin and Mac Brown. Uh, that was. Does it still exist? The website still exists, but they all work for Iron Man now. So I don't know how much of that stuff they still do. So the last program they had on here was for Iron Man. It was about 2015. They were still selling programs. So. Mm. Tell you what, if it is still going, time to spend some money on your website, guys. Someone's still paying the, web, the, the URL fees every year. 
Oh, there you go. So, yep, they got, they got a directory. Oh, good stuff. So, well done, Louis. You are our winner of the week. week. I'm going to just pick one other random person just because we're done first and second. Come on. But John, you're taking my job away. Okay, sorry. I have done that several weeks. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's Give me a number then, Bevan. I'm going to say 93. 93? Good year, that one. Quick, quick winner of the week for 93. Jim Osman. He did, oh, that's sorry. Jim, you this week. I'm going back to last hey, week. Jim, you get no love. Yeah. There you go, Jim. That's the love you're getting. 93, 93, 93. Mark Funster Brooks did 13 hours and two minutes. Didn't get to the pool. Did 10 exercise workouts. Did 10 hours and 49 minutes on the bike and two hours and 12 minutes. Nice work, Mark. Okay, John. Questions and answers. We've got a couple of things here. First of all, got an email from Murray Lepworth. Being a bit of a narc, to be honest. Yeah. Because he said to me, Bevan, one thing we need to know is that, uh, hey, Bevan, Coach has trained his son really well. Both transition times of Thomas were quicker than the coach. And while the second lap of the run was faster for both, only one held the pace for the third lap. So I've, I, Murray texted me that last night. And the second point here, I think we save that for next week. Uh, my defence there... Here we go. ...is first transition, I was wearing a wetsuit. He wasn't, so that's not fair. Second transition, I've got no excuse, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> and I wasn't particularly hasty through that uh, second transition. My defence on the run, and this is legit defence, is the last lap of the run was significantly longer because you had to run to the finish line. So, and the first lap... But it seems like Thomas held his pace in that last lap. No, he wouldn't have. Oh, no, you have no, no faith in him? No, because you had to run an extra 200 metres to the finish, and then the first lap, yeah, the laps, the, the, all three laps were different distances. Okay, so questions I have for John Newsom. I think we've talked about this before, but I need to know the answer again. How long is it before he beat you? Uh, he's still got a few years yet. You reckon? Yeah, still a few years there. <laughs> is, is that he's getting better, you're getting worse? A bit of both. Yeah. yeah. No, I can still comfortably beat him across all three disciplines. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah, tell him every night before he goes to bed. Yeah. Yep. I have noticed this year with the local guys that uh, about when they get to 16, they seem to increase in speed quite markedly so that puberty so, kind of hits in and yeah. testosterone kicks in and yeah so there's two, two, two guys actually the local guys they got uh, second in the under 19 uh, and that's with national secondary schools and second in the under 16 last season I would have been beating them this season I wasn't oh really okay mm. what about Thomas so how did Thomas go in his age group Tom got fifth in his age group in the under 14s nice. that's pretty solid uh, and the thing that I was most proud of, and I told him this last night, is tactically he's amazing. Oh, really? Like he was—he got off the bike and he was in fifth place, first, second, third, but pretty well up the road, and, and fourth, fourth looked pretty good as well. But he had a couple of guys behind him, and Tom's a steady runner. Yep. Uh, but tactically, he's got his head screwed on, and so two guys caught him up from behind. Yeah. So he ducked him behind. He ducked him behind, then he attacks them, uh, drops one of them. Uh, one of them outruns him by a little bit, but then in doing that, they caught up to one of the guys in front, so he held his position. So tactically, he did a very, very good race. Oh, good stuff. So that was good. Um, okay, John, we have got one other email here, and it's quite a good one, actually. We, uh, last week, uh, we were talking about the metals, and good old Mike, uh, the farmer of Fox Hewson, sent through an email just saying, uh, chatting about the metals got me thinking. A couple of the recent races have used treesnotteased.com. Basically, when you sign up for a race, you opt not to receive a medal slash t-shirt and instead for the cost that goes into planting a tree in Scotland. A double win for the environment as, like many insurance of athletes, I have a drawer full of old race tees and another drawer full of medals, which a few mean 
which only a few mean anything to me. Rather than wasting resources on a memento I don't even want, uh, or a virtual certificate, um, I could go to a location which has been planted, to a tree where it's been planted instead. I get a smug feeling that you're doing something green. At the moment, as far as I'm aware, the scheme is only available in the UK. There may be other similar schemes elsewhere. I hope there are. Any publicity they can get to help launch similar schemes worldwide would be encouraged so more racers can sign up with them. Can I suggest? I think this is a gold idea. Yeah, it really is, isn't it? Uh, so he's saying, can he suggest that Iron Man plan to recycle the 2020 medals uh, which would be pertinent for the website of the week. Yeah, so I'm going to instigate this into to my events where I do have medals, and if I was organising an event... So you do it when people sign up? You say, do it, tick, tick this box, for do, do you want to finish this medal or not? I've got absolutely no problem whatsoever with people taking a yeah, finishes medal, yeah, of course. and I've got absolutely no problem with people getting a finishes t-shirt, but if it's just going to sit in a drawer, that's a waste of resource. Have you uh, kept any finishes t-shirts? Uh, I generally just keep them for for trainer rides. Some yeah. some don't even they're so bad they don't even I don't even allow them to go on my train. I remember my Hawaii Iron Man t-shirt was so bad because the sizing. Yeah. I remember they gave me a medium. It was like I was wearing a tent. Yeah, you know. And then you go to the store and you buy them and they're really nice fitting. I don't think I've almost never had a finishes t-shirt where I've gone. That's really cool. Do you know what? I've got I'm- a couple that are wearable just. But that's about it. I've got one I've kept. I, I, I'm a bit like you, John. I'm not really that kind of keep things for nostalgia kind of guy. But I did keep, when I went to Hawaii, Iron Man New Zealand had an Iron, a New Zealand Teams t-shirt. Oh, yeah. Those were good. Yeah. And it was, a, it was actually a Nike t-shirt. It was actually really lovely. And I've kept that. I've got it somewhere in my garage. But outside of that, I don't really have a lot. Yeah. No. But this is a great idea, isn't it? So it's treesnottees.com. But I think it needs to be linked in with the race you're doing. So encourage race organisers in the UK to, to get onto this, especially if you're one of those people that dislikes them. And it's, I just think it's gold. It's brilliant. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and yeah, as John was saying, if you are racing in the UK, maybe point your race directors towards this this kind of website. Again, it's treesnottees.com. Okay, John, let's wrap it up. Uh, let's do our patrons. We've got Kylie Cox. You call her the hot chick. I call her the colonel. Okay, we've got Darren Elchin, and he is the lean machine. And Carl, the dark ghost, Barksdale. Dark ghost. Jombo. If you want to get the show emailed to you, you can go to I am talk me. It's also where you become a patron. If you want to get some coaching, go to coachonnewson.com. My podcast, the Bevan James Oz show, you can get that at bevanjamesoz.com. Websites, cool age groupers of the week, any other feedback, I am talk podcast at gmail.com. John, you goss. I uh, was away for the weekend up in New Plymouth with the, 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 the boys and our little junior triathletes. So we had three nights away from, from the girls, which I think was uh, enjoyed by the girls at home. Oh, really? Great. Uh, what did the girls do? Girls, well, Felicity actually pulled her neck muscles, so she didn't oh. actually end up doing too much. Uh, how? So in terms of Tom, he had a really good race. I, as you heard last week, was sick most of the week, uh, got a pretty bad cold and didn't really come right. So I decided to go into the race and I got demotivated demotiv- on a number of fronts. Sickness, a being sick? A being sick. I was like, oh, God. Uh, and, and I'm being smart. I'm going racing. I wasn't sick sick. By the time I got to the race well past the infectious stage still carrying a bit of a cough and I was like it's really not a smart idea to race hard at all in terms of my long term health so that was my marker number one marker number two the last three or four weeks of training had not gone particularly well just through managing events and and being sick and so on so I was a bit demotivated there and three there really wasn't any competition which was 
maybe sounds a bit arrogant, but I knew that I was going to win, even if I took it pretty comfortably, and I was going to... They had oh, so two, you had to win? Yeah, well, there was two wave starts, so they had under 35 years in the first group and over 35s in the second group, and, yeah, I knew I was pretty confident that I would win comfortably. So you could turn up sick, John, you still win. Champion. <laughs> Champion. Um, but what I was quite looking forward to, I thought I was going to get lapped on the bike early by the front group. It was a four-lap bike course, and you had like guys Hayden Wilde, Taylor Reid, and, and some, some really good juniors racing, and I thought, I'll jump onto the back of them, and this could be quite fun. I'll enjoy the bike ride and go around with some speedy guys. And either either I was quicker, which I don't think I was. I think it was more they were a lot slower on the course because it was a hilly bike course. And they didn't catch me until the last slap of the bike and halfway through, and there was only three of them. There was Hayden Wilde, you guys will know, uh, Taylor Reid, who's a former World Under-23 champion, and some other guy, and they literally caught me about 50 metres before turning left to go up this climb, and I thought, oh God, I'm, I, there's no way I'm going to keep up with this, this climb, but I'll give it a go, yep. give it a good old nudge, and Hayden Wilde goes straight to the front and attacks. <laughs> uh, it wasn't a full-blown attack, it was like more of a solid increase yep. in pace, and so I hung on for about halfway up the hill and I thought, this is just suicidal. I hung on for a little bit longer. And as soon as the rubber band went, I was like, there's no way I'm getting back on. Yeah. Then I sort of tried to keep my breath back. So I held on to them for just a little while, which was kind of cool. And then when I got off the bike as well, literally Hayden Wild ran past me. Um, so you held on to him as well? I did not hang on at all <laughs> on the run. It was a three-lap run. It was only 5Ks. And so from where he passed me to get to the turnaround, maybe 500 metres or so. He probably put 200 metres into me in 500. Oh, really? He was smoking and... But he, what did he do? He did 14 something for his 5K. What did he do for his 5K? I'm not sure. I haven't looked. He ran a 5,000 metres New Zealand Championships on Friday night. Ran 13.33. Oh, okay. Or something like 13.33 or 13.36 or 13.39. 13.30 something. And... He almost lapped the entire field. Really? And this is run. They're not, they're not our best. It is a New Zealand champs, but all our best runners are probably overseas yeah. and, and what have you. But he just drilled it. And then he turned around two days later and won that race as well. How do you think he's going to go to the Olympics? Uh, he could do really, really well. So, it's exciting to have someone of his level back yeah. in the game. you know, Because like, New Zealand triathlon, we've always kind of batted above our weight. Um, but... In that last moment, we've, in long course, we've had some really great athletes, but short mm. course, we kind of, the retirement of Bevan was kind of the last of our mm. male strong athletes. Um, so it's really cool to see we've got some young kids coming through who potentially could win races. Mm. So that was most of my weekend. However, at the end of the day, it was threatening to rain all day, and then it finally did rain when they did the mixed relays at the end. Yep. And then it really rained. Oh, really? And then it stopped a little bit and they decided to go on with prize giving because it was New Zealand schools champs and you yeah, can't okay. really not do prize giving. They probably should have had a backup plan for an Because outdoors, was it? Outdoors. Uh. They started doing prize giving, it was okay. And then it started pissing down and it was just miserable. But I got subbed in. That at the end of the prize giving, they were giving away a car. Oh, again? again. So the, Triathlon's got a lot of cars to give no, away. This, they give away one car a season. Oh, because it went into the draw. It goes into the draw. That's right, yep. And I got nominated to be... The person who pulled it out. Re, no, representing somebody from Christchurch, okay. Jeff Roberts, yep. uh, who's patron of the show. And so I was standing there and they did it like pop idol. They said, right, number, I think I was number 12. They said, you know, bunch of numbers, five, six. You're gone. You step forward. So wait a second, you, what, where did no, you get down no, to? They said step forward oh, okay. and they eliminated probably half of them. I was still in the game. Oh, exciting. And then they Were said, you excited even though you weren't winning the car? Well, it was because Jeff's a good guy and yeah. I wanted to win the car for him. 
And then they said the next round numbers, they said, would you step forward? And this time they said, if you step forward, you're still in the game. Oh. And so I got Jeff into the top five. Yeah, you did really well. And then they eliminated three of us and then there was two left and I was not one of the two. Oh, that's a good way of doing it. Mm. So that was all good. Who won the car? One that was one next to me, actually, number 11 won the car. Oh, Female. Don't know 11. which race she did. So that was my weekend, Bevan. It's a lot of triathlon watching. What did you do on the night? Did you stay up north? It was pissing down. So uh, I was packing bikes. And uh. yeah, it was not very exciting at all. Uh. Boys are running around having a great old time. So that was my weekend, Bevan. And what about you? One thing I've learned in life, John, recently is that uh, if your team's really doing poorly in sport, mm-hmm. get me to leave the game. Yes. Because in the, um, did I tell you about the America's Cup? Uh, yes, you walked out of the room. Yeah. Yep. Walked out of the room, came back in, we were winning. Yep. Saturday night, I love the mighty, the mighty Vodafone Warriors. Love the way. It's amazing that you give their sponsor recognition the whole time. Because I'm like the mad butcher. Because mm. he goes, the mighty Vodafone Warriors. Mm. He's a very iconic New Zealander. Uh, Joe and I were going to go out for dinner down in Commie. Have you been to Commie? No. I recommend. Okay. Highly recommend it. Actually, it was, it was a really nice meal. Down the corner from where John and I live, not far from where John and I live. For those who came on the I Am Talk anniversary camp where we had the dinner it's across the road from there right yep um so we went there for dinner and joe was like let's go for a dinner tonight because we had nothing on i said okay let's do it and she said what time and i was like oh the warriors are playing yeah it was an early game yeah and uh and i said can we do 6 45 like just before yeah. seven because then the game will be done and she was like okay so because she, she originally booked it like quarter to six so she changed the booking half time we're down 24 six no, it was, it was oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, 24-6 at halftime. So I go, you know what, babe? I grip. They're not going to win. Let's yeah. go out for dinner. We have dinner, had a good dinner, a bit of food and all the rest of it. Walk out, I thought, I want to wait with the Warriors. They came back and won the game in the last second. Well, they won it and then they basically lost it by a whisker. Well, they didn't lose, they, they, they won. They didn't lose it, they won it, but they, they score a try. There's like one minute left to go in the game and then they let the other team Basically, score a try, but luckily yeah, the captain us knocked the ball out of his hands as he was diving across. It the was, line. and also genius, wasn't it? How he pushed his hand. Yeah, yeah, it was absolutely genius. So, and I was gutted, but then I watched the rugby; that was exciting as well. But obviously, when your team's losing, get me to leave the room mm. because it, it, it's the old turnaround. I'm going to call yeah, it. Great. Yeah, Don't so. watch any more games this season. No, no. Did I tell you the band's been asked to come back and play? I told yes, you that. Yes. Yeah. Oh, John, we got offered money. Right, great. I know. Oh. It's like when I did my first ever soccer race and I and I got third in the third grade, mm-hmm. and I think I got to pay fifteen dollars. Mm-hmm. Well, the band's going to get hundred bucks. Nice. Now, admittedly, we can't actually do the because because <laughs> Dave's away that weekend, but they'll ask, ask us again. So I'll get thirty three dollars. Great. So John, I am now officially a professional musician. Who's going to get the one extra cent? Because you'll get thirty three. We'll put that in the band fund. Band fund, band yep. fund. You know, that one cent yeah. goes towards the funding of our promotion for our album. Mm. Yeah, so I'm pretty excited about that. So that was that was very positive. Outside of that, John, back to work next week. Oh, goodness. Yeah. ACC finishes. Well, I've done my shoulder. I don't know what happens. <laughs> my shoulder really bad. So I need to sort that out. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be a bit of a shock to the system. I've kept fit. Instructing next week. Yep. But I've, and I've kept fit. But in straight then you go to the next level, so mm. I'm going to be a bit, a bit, bit painful. But that's all right. Game on. What are you doing for Easter? We are going to Kiteri Terry. Oh, nice. Yeah. When are you heading up there? Flying up on Thursday night. Flying up? Flying it's up. It's a posh, posh travelling life. Mm. Get the in-laws to pick us up from the airport. Oh, do they have a spare car? Or do you just stay in the batch the whole time? Stay in the batch. Oh, yep. Yeah, nice. So it's going to be a good time. Ben, what about you? Going on Easter egg hunt? Well, the thing is... Your mother goes crazy. I know, but well, this is the thing now, John. All the kids are old now. 
The youngest kid is now 18. Mm. So I'm not sure if these two hunts happens now. But Joe was like, it needs to happen because that's our chocolate supply for a year. Yeah, right. So, so we'll have to, I might just drop the hints at Mum, you know, just a couple of weeks would be good. Yeah. So other than that, John, I think that's pretty much it. All right, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm Eno. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha.